religious movement. As Christians, as a church, can we create a religious movement? Now, I know some of you are saying, well, certainly you can. You just take some holy water and Xbox, and that's a religious movement. But, but I, I want to know, like, can we as a church create an environment where people will for sure experience the presence of God? I don't know if you've heard what's happening at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky this past week. Um, I tell you, this is so cool. This, this college does a bi-weekly uh, chapel service where they sing a couple songs, a speaker comes up and gives a message, and then they close out. And the students at this college, they have to attend so many of these chapel services a couple times a year throughout the semester. They have to make sure they get enough of them in. And so it started on February 8th where it was this normal chapel service where they had a guy come and share a message. The choir sang some, some gospel songs. And when the choir finished with a benediction, there were some students that lingered in the auditorium and, and chose, we're not going to leave yet. And they had this fearful, powerful sense of just the transcendence of God, which means they just they felt something beyond themselves in that moment. And so these students, they, they stayed in the auditorium, and they continued singing and reading scripture and praying. And these students started repenting of their sins things that they had committed. They started, they started praying for healing and, and wholeness and justice. And what started as just a small group of students in this auditorium, slowly other students started coming in and coming in and praying and singing and sharing testimonies. And soon this auditorium of 1,200 seats was filled with students just praying and singing and, and, and seeking the face of God. And this carried into that night... The next day, students kept coming. Students were coming from, from other colleges, and they just kept coming and continued. And this has gone on now for 11 days. 11 days, there are these students coming together, praying and seeking God's face continually over a period of 11 days. It is awesome. This is a, a revival. This is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a movement that God is creating right here through these students at Asbury College. My question is, can we create movements like that? Can we create experiences like that where we see the Holy Spirit just poured out because of the things that we do together? Now, I do know there are Christians and there are churches that say we can absolutely create this. In fact, I've got a pastor friend, and every year they schedule a revival during the summer on such and such date. Like, they schedule it. This is what's going to happen. Can we do that? I mean, certainly there are books that say, here's how you create a revival. You've got a great preacher who gives powerful sermons. And if this great preacher, 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 this great preacher with these powerful sermons, man, people will experience God in that way. Or they'll say, you just got to get that, that worship team, right? You've got to get the right worship team. And you've got to create this environment that, that, that people will be drawn in mentally and emotionally to the worship, to the music, and then they will experience the presence of God. Or they say, we just have to create the right environment. If we can just create the right environment, you know, that, that means we're going to have this, this uh, comfortable seating. We're going to turn the lights down low. 
We're going to eliminate distractions. Maybe we'll burn some incense. Maybe I heard fog machines help that out. And you do these right things to get the environment just right. And then people will experience the presence of God. Or they say you just have to have all these testimonies of all the miraculous things that God is doing, of God healing people, of God doing all these things, and people hear that, and then they will experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Is that how the Holy Spirit works? Can God be scheduled? Can a movement be something that is controlled and scheduled by us? And I already told you we're going to be in this uh, book of Acts for the next couple of months. And uh, really excited to be in this series because Acts is really the source book for how the church, the early church started. We are an extension of the early church. And Acts is a source book for how it started, for, for its function, for its purpose, for its power. And, and what I love about the book of Acts is you see that this church, it wasn't just an institution. It wasn't just a place that you come and you, you receive religious services and you feel good, but it became a movement. A movement that God used to change Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That we exist here today as a church, largely because they became a movement 2,000 years ago. And as this year, Restoration Church, we turn 10 years old. We are double digits. It takes all of our fingers, which is exciting. And I want to ask us as a church, like God, help us become not just an institution. Help restoration not just be a place that we come for religious services. Help us to be a movement that makes a difference in our city, that changes lives, that sees people around us that are affected because the power of God is, is on us and within us. And today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 where we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early church. The Holy Spirit empowers the early church to speak in different languages, to proclaim the mighty works of God. And one of the things, as you read the book of Acts, one of the consistent themes you see time and time and time again is you see the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what fueled the, the, the early church, empowered them to fulfill their mission to be witnesses of Jesus the Holy Spirit is what enabled them to become a movement that changed the world around them. And so I want to ask this morning, what I want to wrestle with is how do we be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we have access to the same power that we see in the early church? How do we see that today? Is it something we schedule? Is it something that we can control? And if not, how do we put ourselves in a spot that we can receive be filled by that. So a little bit of context, a little bit of setting the scene. 50 days before we are today, 50 days ago, before Acts chapter 2, 50 days before, prior to this, the disciples, the world was kind of flipped upside down. Jesus is in a room with the disciples. Uh, he's in what's called the Last Supper. And Jesus is, is kind of giving them some last words before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he's really, he's pouring out his heart to these guys. He's like, guys, Guys, you're going to face trouble. This world is difficult. You're going to face trouble. But don't worry because I'm with you. That's awesome. But then Jesus says, but hold up a sec. I forgot to tell you, I do have to go. I'm going to leave you. 
But don't worry because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And the disciples are like, no, Jesus, don't leave us. Like, like we'd rather have you with us. Don't leave us. But Jesus said, listen, it is better that I go. It is better that I go. Because if I go, my spirit comes to you. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the, the advocate. In fact, the original language says the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Para, which means to come along, alongside of, and cleat, which means to call out or to speak. So in a real sense, Jesus says, it's better for me to go because I'm going to send you the one who comes alongside you and speaks to you. Jesus knows these disciples, they're going to face some hard stuff in front of them. And he says, it's better that I go because you're going to need the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to be your strengthener. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. Forty days later, 40 days later, the disciples, man, they've seen Jesus suffer and die on the cross. They saw Jesus rise from the grave. And Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God, saying, hey, guys, like all this stuff in this book right here, all this stuff, it points to me. It's talking about me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the theme of this book. The entire thing is all about me. And then Jesus gives those disciples instructions that we looked at a couple weeks ago. He said, here's your purpose. Remember what it was? He said, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But he said, before that happens, I want you to wait. I want you to wait here for the promise, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the one I talked about 40 days ago. I want you to wait for that. And so Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples are, are gathered together, and they spend 10 days waiting and praying, anticipating this gift that Jesus has promised them. So you see, we had the, the, the 50 days, and we waited 40 days. We had another 10, so we're back to 50, carry the one, multiply by three. We get 50 days. That's where we are today in Acts chapter 2. And here's, here's how it starts out. It says, on the day that Pentecost has arrived. That word Pentecost, it means 50. Now, there were three Jewish holidays in the Jewish uh, culture. Uh, uh, and Pentecost was the third Jewish holiday. And on these holidays, they became pilgrimages where, where Jews were supposed to come to Jerusalem to worship. And so Pentecost was the, this middle feast that commemorated when God gave Moses the law and God gave Israel the law. And again, we call, it Passover, we call it Pentecost because it comes 50 days after Passover. So you see that word 50 come. And so in Jerusalem, they've got this feast going on, so there's a lot of people in the city. And here's what happens. Verse 1, on the day that Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house that they were sitting and divided tongues as fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they all, listen to this, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now, I will say, that is pretty awesome to read. That is pretty dramatic and exhilarating and exciting. And you know what's amazing about this? These Christians, they didn't earn this. They didn't plan this. They didn't schedule it. They didn't pray some special prayer to cause this to to happen. They didn't even imagine this is what it would be like. 
This is simply the gift of God, that he filled them with his Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice, notice when this happened. It said in verse 2 that they were gathered together. Now, we're only two weeks into, excuse me, we're only two chapters into the book of Acts. But in both chapters, we've seen this emphasis on gathering. On, and, and chapter 1, it says they were all together in the Honda. They were with one accord. They had this unity in their purpose. They're together. And we look in Acts chapter 2, and what does it say again? They were gathered together in one place. There's something special about the people of God when we gather together. We call on his name together. There's a special meaning, a special uh, emphasis to us gathering together. It's valuable. And as they're gathered together, it says the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And here's how. Luke says that from the heaven, it was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the room. A mighty rush. This isn't this little... Now, this was, a, this, was a, this was a hurricane that filled the room. When you read Scripture, the work of God often is characterized or, or described as the imagery of wind. You, you see this in Scripture. You see this in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, you've got the valley of dry bones. And it is the, the breath of God. It is the wind, the breath of God, that gives life to those bones. We have this, this picture of the Holy Spirit who is a life-giving spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so you have this, this picture of, of wind and, and breath of the Spirit. And then Luke says that there were tongues of fire that settled on each of the Christians individually. Fire, again, is one of those things that we see in Scripture that represent the presence of God. We see it with Moses where Moses came to the burning bush, and there was a bush that, that was, was, was on fire but not consumed, and that is the presence of God in that bush. You see it a little further in the book of Exodus, where the nation of Israel is wandering in the wilderness. And how does God show up for them? In the pillar of fire, leading them and protecting them. The fire represents the presence of God. In fact, uh, in fact even in, in, in uh John the Baptist, John the Baptist, long ago, he, he told the disciples, listen, I'm going to baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to come, and he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. See, this idea. And so here in Acts, we see, in Acts chapter 2, we see that the presence of God is portrayed through the wind and the fire that is given to the disciples as the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and fills them. Now, once you see this, verse 4, it says they were gathered together. There's 120 of those Christians in the room. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, every one of them. And they were given the ability to speak in languages that were not known to them before. Now, just clarify, this isn't like they were given the ability to speak Spanish and they could remember some of the Spanish they learned in high school, you know. We all remember high school Spanish. Donde style, baño. That's not what we're talking about. These guys were given the ability to speak languages they'd never learned or heard or understood. This was, uh, this was a, a miracle. And it says, verse 6, At the sound of the wind, multi the multitude gathered, and they were bewildered to hear them speak in their own languages. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Aren't these speaking Galileans? The people are looking, saying, These disciples? Like, like 
They're Galileans. They're not very, it's kind of like saying they, they, they graduated from Sela, right? They're just not very bright. They're not the sharpest tools in the shed. It's not what we would, we wouldn't expect them to, to be able to learn these languages overnight. And so verse 8, it says, how is it that we can hear our own native languages? And what Luke does, verses 9 and 10, is he lists out 13 different nations that are represented there. Again, this is at the Feast of Pentecost. You have all these people from all over the area who come to Jerusalem. There's at least 13 different nations there, and every one of them are hearing the works of God being proclaimed in their own heart language. This is miraculous. This is amazing. And what is it they're hearing? You've got all this multitude of people from 13 different languages. What is it they're hearing? It's in verse 11. And I want you to underline this. Verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What are they hearing? The mighty works of God. In fact, I want you, I want you to see the progression here in this chapter. Uh, verse 4, it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says that they're speaking in these, these different languages. And what are they doing? Verse 11, they are sharing the mighty works of God. Now, again, I just have to put one and one and one together. What is the purpose for the filling of the Spirit? Is it not to share and do the mighty works of God? They're filled with the Spirit, and then they're, they're, they're speaking languages they've never known before, and they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. I think the filling of the Spirit is so they can do and share the mighty works of God. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're filled with the Spirit, and they're sharing their faith. They're pointing to the giver of all things. They're pointing to the person that's only, the only one that's worth us living our lives for. They're saying, look to him. Look to him. This is why sometimes we use this phrase that scripture interprets scripture. And so when we come to a passage of scripture, we have to say, what does this teach me about scripture I've read before? And this is why Acts chapter 2, weird thing, it follows Acts chapter 1. Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my what? My witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and what are they doing? They are being his witnesses. They're pointing to him. They're proclaiming his mighty works. You see how this works. The filling of the Holy Spirit, and now they're doing and sharing the mighty works of God. And that's exciting. And what happens because of this? Verse 12. It says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying, one to one, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but others mocked and said, they're filled with new wine. Others mocked and said, no, they're drunk. They're drunk. And see, I love, we see this conclusion of Pena, we see this, what happens in response to these disciples speaking in, in these foreign languages. Because really, you see this perplexed response. And this is, Honestly, what happens when we share the gospel? When we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, you see these similar responses where part of the people, they're amazed, and they're like, what does this mean? 
And those people that are saying, this is amazing, I want to know more about it, Peter's about to get up and tell them exactly what's going on. He's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see 3,000 of these people place their faith in Jesus in a single day. There's part of it. We're, we're, when we proclaim the mighty works of God, God draws those people in and they place their faith in him. But let's just be honest. There's some people that hear the gospel and they, they reject it. Kind of like these other people. They're looking and they're like, this is ridiculous. And they come up with an alternative explanation rather than recognizing the work of God. Oh, there's no way these guys are actually speaking in tongues. They're drunk. That's our explanation for what God is trying to do. And those people are going to completely miss out on the gospel at that point. Now, this may be the shortest sermon I've ever done because I'm ready to give you my summary. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, what does it teach us? It teaches us that the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is to share and to do the mighty works of God passage is teaching us. The filling of the Holy Spirit is there so we can share and we can do the mighty works of God. Now, I know some of you are like, sweet, we're getting out early today. But you know, as I was thinking about this series, how the early church is becoming a movement that impacted the world around them, and we see again and again in this book that the early church, they impacted the world around them not because of their wisdom, not because they had a book that tell them, here's how you create a revival. Not because they said, here's how you structure a church that grows. No, they became a movement because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fueled and empowered them. And again, I just, I put my cards on the table. I want that for us. I want that for Restoration Church that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we as, as a church would be able to, to share and to do the mighty works of God, that we'd become a movement that shapes our city, that, that impacts neighborhoods, that sees families redeemed and restored, that sees the broken things healed. Like, that's what I want for us. The question is, how do we do that? Become the religious movement. How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? The rest of our time, we're going to answer that question. How can we be filled with the Spirit? I've got two questions I came up with. We're going to answer those two questions, and then we'll be done. The first question is this. What is the difference between the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit? This idea of indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit, both these terms are in Scripture. You hear Christians talk about them. You hear them talk about them in the church. Are they the same thing? Are they different? There's some confusion. What do these two things mean? Now, in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit would come and go to saints. They would come onto a person, and God would use them to do something, and then the Holy Spirit would leave them. And so it was, it was very come and go, right? But Jesus said something's going to happen different. Jesus said that when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, he will be with you permanently. It won't be this come and go. You will have it permanently. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 17. Again, this, uh, during the, that last supper, he said, he, the Holy Spirit, will dwell within you. He will remain in you. He will be in you. 
just before that, verse 16, he said, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens when we accept Jesus as our Savior. See, the, 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 the indwelling of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in the life of a Christian at their salvation. That is what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit simply means. That is when we become uh, temples of God because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is, this is what Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You hear what that said? When you believed, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the indwelling of the Spirit. We place our faith in Jesus, and we are given the, the, the full presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, I'll say this. I think the filling of the Spirit is different. The spilling, the, the spilling, the filling of the Spirit is something that happens over and over again in the life of a Christian. As Christians, as we make room and as we surrender to the Spirit's work in our life, we are going to be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this again and again and again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter is brought before the authorities. The authorities are threatening him and said, do not, you, do not preach about Jesus again. And the scripture says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaims Jesus to the ones who are threatening him not to speak about it. Acts chapter 13 uh, says that Saul, who we're going to be known as Paul, is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he exposes an evil sorcerer and tells him, hey, the Lord's going to blind you. And guess what the Lord does? He blinds him. You see this filling of the Spirit several times throughout the book of Acts. This is where I want us to understand as Christians, we have one indwelling. We have one dwelling in the Spirit. When we place our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside us permanently. But as Christians, oftentimes we will have many fillings of the Spirit as we surrender to the Spirit's power and work in our life. So then the second question is, how are we filled with the Spirit? How can we be filled with the Spirit? Like, we read this, and we're like, we want that bold feeling. We want that bold feeling just like we saw in Acts chapter. We, we want the Holy Spirit to come upon us like that. Where do we go? How do we do that? Paul gives us the answer in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit is against the flesh, and they oppose each other so that you don't do what you want to do. I'll tell you what, I don't like that verse. Why? Because I like to do what I want to do. Anybody else in this room like to do what you want to do? Let's just be honest. Like, I like to do whatever I want to do. So I can sit there and say, well, what I did wasn't ungodly. You push back and say, but was it of God? Well, oftentimes that would be debatable. Right? See, the flesh represents our natural desires. 
Our flesh represents our own wisdom, our own understanding. Our flesh is when we justify what we do and say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. That is walking in the flesh. Now, we're talking about the filling of the Spirit, right? To be filled with something assumes that there is an emptying of that thing. Does that make sense? Like, we want the filling of the Spirit, then to some degree, something has to be emptied so we can become full. See, the filling of the Spirit is a result of us continuing to empty ourselves, to starve our flesh. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to be willing to empty out our flesh. But here's the problem. That doesn't make me very happy, right? Because I like to do what I want to do. Many of us in this room, we like to do what we want to do. That doesn't make me happy. But guess what? Notice it's called the Holy Spirit and not the happy spirit. Right? I mean, I mean, we go on social media, and we see somebody that says, I just, you know, I just want to be happy, and that's my goal in life, and we like it, and we heart it, and we're like, go you. I'm pretty sure God is more concerned with us being holy than being happy. And if we actually pursued a life of holiness, you think God would do some things in our lives and in our churches and in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our cities? If it wasn't just us trying to be happy, but us trying to be holy, maybe we'd have more of the Spirit within us. And here's the problem. We want a feeling, right? We want a feeling. We want the Holy Spirit because we want the feeling of the Holy Spirit in us. We want the feeling of his power, the feeling of God's presence within us. Let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling. He's not just a feeling. Feeling, filling. He's not just a feeling. He's a filling. In order for him to fill us, we have to be willing to empty ourselves. And I think many of us miss out on the filling of the Holy Spirit because emptying of ourselves is a lot of work. It's hard. It's difficult. It's easier for me to pursue a feeling instead of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then we get into our Christian circles, and we, we all want that mountaintop experience, right? We think back to that one camp. We think back to that retreat, that concert, that church service. We're like, I want that feeling. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the other 360 days of the year? Oh, we want the feeling. We want the feeling. We want the excitement of Asbury College. We want the excitement of that church service. But what our heart should desire, it's not just a feeling. What our heart should desire, our life should reflect a feeling of the Holy Spirit where we are setting aside our flesh and allowing the Holy Spirit to take residence up in our lives, where we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, requires that we empty ourselves. In fact, when you look through Scripture, you see these attributes of the Holy Spirit. These are things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. 
there's a lot of really cool things, cool feelings we get when the Holy Spirit works in our life. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit indwells us, John 14. We love that. Oh, I love the indwelling of the Spirit. I love that feeling of God's presence. I love that feeling. It says in Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit seals us. Man, I love that feeling of knowing I'm loved by God. I love that feeling. It says the Holy Spirit teaches us. Man, I love the fact that we can learn and know and have a knowledge about God. I love how that feels. Galatians 5 says the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. Man, doesn't it feel good to bear fruit? It feels good to do some good things for God. John 16 says the Holy Spirit comforts us. Doesn't that feel good? When we're hurting and struggling, it's so good to feel God comforting us. 1 Corinthians 12 says the Holy Spirit fills us or equips us with spiritual gifts. Yes and amen. That feels good to be used by God. Ephesians 5 says the Holy Spirit fills us. Yes and amen. I love that feeling of being filled with the Spirit. Those are good feelings. But you know, the Holy Spirit does more than just those things. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I don't like that. That's painful. That's not easy. Oh, the Holy Spirit, John 16, guides us into all truth. And what happens when my truth isn't the same as his truth? What happens when I'm saying, God, I really want to go this way. I really want to make this decision. God, this is what I want. What happens when God begins to say, yeah, not that direction. I'm not going to necessarily give you what I want. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is trying to guide us to a truth that we don't see, that we don't understand. Yeah, that's not a good feeling, is it? John 14 says, the Holy Spirit reminds us. You know, sometimes not all reminders are good, right? Like, I don't want to be reminded again and again of how often I go back to the same sin over and over and over again. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us, Kevin, Kevin, don't go back there. Kevin, remember what happened the last time you went back there. Remember how much you suffered. Remember what it cost. And the Holy Spirit says, heed my voice. That's not a good feeling. That's not a good feeling. But you know what? That is the Holy Spirit. And that's a gift. It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment to rob me of my life. It's a gift to say, listen, that caused trouble for you last time. Listen to me. I'm trying to remind you of what happened last time. That is, that is a life-giving hope that the Holy Spirit gives to us. This is why we don't just want a feeling. We want the feeling. We want the whole of the Holy Spirit and what it'll do in our life. Acts chapter 1. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He empowers us. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a job description. When he empowers us for service, that means there's work to do. That means there's things we've got to step up and go and do. Too often we sit here and we say, we want the feeling. It feels good. I want the feeling. The question is, do we want the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because that means we've got to make some 
hard choices. If we want the filling of the Holy Spirit, that means we've got to make some tough decisions. We say, God, I want the Holy Spirit while we're chasing after the things of our flesh. God, I want the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to give up that lust. God, I want your Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to give up my schedule or my resources. God, I want, I want the feeling of the Spirit, but I'm not going to watch what comes out of my mouth. God, I want to be filled with you, but I'm going to continue to allow my mind to be filled with the garbage of the world and the media and not the things of God. God, I, I want all of you, uh, but I'm going to continue, continue to, have, to gossip and continue to have anger rather than, and than love. But God, that's just the way I am. No, that's walking in the flesh. That's walking in the flesh. And we sit here and we're like, man, I, I want the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And we turn our radio on in our car. And we turn the radio on. I'm like, come on, God, just give me a song that meets me here. Come on, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, fill the atmosphere of this car. We're like, man, I want the feeling of the Holy. Let me listen to another sermon. Let me, let me, let me read some more Bible. Let me, let me do some good work. Let me, let me light some incense. Let me, let me pray for another person. Where God, I want you, and, and all God is saying is, will you empty yourself? You want me, but you're not willing to make room for me. Wow, I went, I went, I went high on that, sorry. You know, I read an article about one of the professors at Asbury College. He said, this revival... Is not marked by signs and wonders that often attracts these so-called revivals. There's no crazy miracles. There's no slaying in the spirit. This revival isn't associated with great preaching or amazing songs. This revival isn't associated with any recognition. We're not trying to make a statement, make a name for ourselves, show how great our college is. No, he said this revival, what's happening at Asbury College, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this incredible filling of the Spirit, like in Acts chapter 2. This is what the professor said, as a result of humility, brokenness, and repentance. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to help us share and do the mighty works of God. To help us make our lives matter. To make the church not an institution, but a movement. That's why the invitation today is that we would initiate that filling. Simply surrender ourselves to the active work of the Holy Spirit. That we would confess sin that we would crucify the flesh, that we would make room for the Holy Spirit to fill us and watch him do something, not this little, watch him do this that takes over us, that allows us to, to share and do the mighty works of God. Because I'll tell you what, I don't think we can schedule it. I don't think we can force it. But if we would empty ourselves 
if we would crucify our flesh. I believe the Holy Spirit is available to us today. Right now, in this moment, he's active, he's waiting. Now, if we would make room, I believe the Holy Spirit will fill us again and again and again and work in us and through us. I want us to come today not for a feeling, but for a filling. Because I tell you what, the filling is so much better than the feeling.